Lord, thank you again for everything you do. Thank you for meeting us here in this place. We pray that you bless the work of our hands here for Douglas Reformed Church, this new congregation. We pray for our community here in Douglas, in southeast Arizona, Cochise County. We pray that you are stirring hearts and minds toward you. We pray that you are building a congregation here for yourself. We pray that we are not laboring in vain. Lord, we love you and thank you for everything. Thank you for your provision. Thank you for forgiving our sins. We pray that your will be done in your kingdom. Come here on earth in Douglas as it is in heaven. Thank you again for everything. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. It's 1 Corinthians chapter 9, verses 19 through 27. Paul continues in this passage after talking about Christian liberty and his place as a minister of the gospel and the right for pastors to make a living by preaching the gospel. Paul continues, verse 19, For though I am free from all men, I have made myself a slave to all, so that I may win more. To the Jews I became as a Jew, so that I might win Jews. To those who are under the law as under the law, though not being myself under the law, so that I might win those who are under the law. To those who are without law as without law, though not being without the law of God, but under the law of Christ, so that I might win those who are without law, Gentiles. To the weak I became weak, that I might win the weak. I have become all things to all men, so that I may by all means save some. I do all things for the sake of the gospel, so that I may become a fellow partaker of it. Do you not know that those who run in a race all run? But only one receives the prize. Run in such a way that you may win. Everyone who competes in the games, the Olympics, exercises self-control in all things. They then do it to receive a perishable wreath. But we, an imperishable. Therefore, I run in such a way as not without aim. I box in such a way as not beating the air. But I discipline my body and make it my slave so that after I have preached to others, I myself will not be disqualified. Disqualification is quite the thing to consider. Paul wants to run his life race in such a way, his ministry race in such a way that he is not disqualified from partaking in, in the gospel. So whatever we're about to read, is, it's, this is a salvation issue because winning the race, winning the prize Paul is talking about is partaking in the gospel. That is salvation. That is eternal life, partaking in the gospel. Whatever we are about to talk about is this deals with eternal life. This deals with salvation. And there are people who run their race without aim, and there are people who box as if they're beating the air and not actually fight an opponent, 
and these people disqualify themselves not only from ministry, but from partaking in the gospel. They disqualify themselves from eternal life if we are to take Paul's words here seriously. So what we are about to walk through, the exposition we are about to hear together, this is of utmost importance for any local church. And sadly, I think most local churches take passages like this, passages about God sending people to hell, passages about the essential nature of the church gathering, and explain them away so that they can justify their own sin, their own non-commitment, their own malcontent, their, their own tendency to cause division within God's church, and their own tendency not to love people in a, in a real way, but maybe only a manipulative way. In verse 19, we see Paul's heart. We saw Paul's heart last week. It's, this is the same thing. For though I am free from all men, I am not a slave to anyone. I am free in Christ. I am free to eat and drink. I am free to take payment for my services and preaching the gospel and teaching the Bible because I pour my time into this. I am free from all men. But even though I am free from all men, I have made myself a slave to all so that I may win more. This language seems kind of paradoxical. I'm free from all men, but I make myself a slave. Now the freeness, the liberty that we experience in Christ, that is an essential liberty we have in Christ. Liberty that we all get to enjoy in Christ as people covered in His, in his blood. A liberty from the requirements of ritualistic religion, a liberty from the expectations of human culture, the human world, a liberty to eat and drink, and a liberty to, to make money by working hard in this world. I'm free from all men. This is an essential liberty. But the slavery Paul talks about, this is a voluntary slavery. I have made myself, this is voluntary, I have made myself a slave to all. Why has Paul made himself a slave to all even though he is free? Because he sincerely loves people, because he sincerely cares for people, which we also got it last week, right? The, the broad application of last week's pericope passage was just to care for people, just to love people in a sincere way, a way that's not manipulative, a way that's not, I will love you and care for you and speak well of you and, and flatter you as long as you benefit me, but, but in a way that is sincere, love, care for people. I have made myself a slave to all. And that, that word all, is, it is without qualification. So Paul has gone beyond talking only about the people within the church walls. Paul has gone beyond only merely talking about the people in the congregation. He has moved now to talking about all people. Paul has become a slave to all people. And we get proof of that interpretation in the very next phrase, so that I may win more. Well, the people in the church have already been won to the gospel, to Christ, supposedly, right? So that I may win more means that this all, this is without qualification. This applies beyond the church walls. And here, brothers and sisters, church family, as small as we are, I need you to know that this 
passage of Scripture here, this calls us to be a church that is in the world. Loving people outside the walls of the church, not just separating ourselves out, not looking at the world and pointing out every single wretched behavior we seem to see, complaining about every sin from worldly people. In 1 Corinthians 5, we even saw that, right? Paul said, I didn't at all mean for you to judge those in the world. No, don't judge those in the world. Go be around those terrible people. Like Paul said that explicitly in chapter 5. And now he's expanding on that idea. Like this is important church. We, we are in the world. Christ has left us, left us here instead of just taking us to, to heaven, right? For a reason. For the expansion of his kingdom on this earth. And Paul says, so that... I may win more. Now, wait a minute, Paul. You see yourself as winning people? We get all self-righteous in our Calvinistic language, don't we? At first glance, this doesn't seem very Calvinistic. (laughs) First glance, this doesn't seem very reformed of Paul to say so that I may win more. I think Paul knows Christ is the one who does the work. He's already said that in 1 Corinthians, right? But if he is a partaker in the gospel, if he has made this his labor on this earth, it doesn't seem Paul is wrong in claiming to be doing the work of Christ. Christ accomplishes the work. But in a very real way, we participate in that work. And I think historically, Calvinists have recognized this, right? That's why Calvinists have been our strongest missionaries. Jim Elliot, going and giving his, his life for the sake of reaching a tribe with the gospel. And Elizabeth Elliot following up after his death and saving those, winning those there for the gospel, for the kingdom of Christ. Both very serious Calvinists. Charles Spurgeon, the one who said, a Christian is either a missionary or an imposter, was about, he was more Calvinist than Calvin, I think, right? And the Baptists burned his sermons in the streets. So that I may win more, I think is appropriate language when we are thinking about gospel work. And we, we get this pretend piety about us, right? There's this, there's this false humility that people like to portray. Uh, no, I don't, I don't win anybody. This is, this is all God's, it is all God's work. That's not a lie. But this fake humility that overcomes people who are religious but lost, who don't know Christ, means that they don't want to first of all, take credit for any of their own work, the work that they are doing, the labor that they are giving for the kingdom of Christ and for the gospel. They don't want to take any of that credit and look back like, like God gives us the example of doing in Genesis chapter, chapter 1, right? Taking a step back, looking at our labor and saying, it is good to God be the glory. Look at what I have done by my hands, what God has given me the ability to do. That, that is healthy. But it's not healthy for that to to lead to pompousness, 
in our work to assume that God didn't give us the ability that I did this all by myself, right? So that I may win more, I think, is appropriate language. Paul doesn't portray this false humility that characterizes so much human religion and so much Christianity in scare quotes, right? Such that we, we feel like if we take credit for anything, we are sinners. But then on the other side of that, we don't take the blame for any of the damage we cause. Oh, it must be the will of God, <laughs> right? Well, false humility is not good. Paul says, so I may win more. He is partaking in the gospel. He is laboring for the gospel. Christ is the one who accomplishes the work, but Paul's not afraid to recognize him. I'm really trying to win people. And he sets the example for us. He's applying this to himself figuratively, remember? So we, when we approach evangelism, when we approach the gospel of Jesus Christ and the gospel work and partaking in, in the growth of the kingdom of God on this earth like the post-millennials we are, we try to win more. Yes, absolutely we do. We don't use... God is our scapegoat when things don't, don't happen. And we recognize that we are partaking in the gospel work and the expansion of Christ's kingdom on this earth. And now you realize why most churches in the world wouldn't like this kind of teaching because all of a sudden it places some responsibility for evangelism on the church. Verse 20, to the Jews, Paul explains himself, his explanation. This is his method. To the Jews I became as a Jew so that I might win Jews. But isn't Paul actually a Jew? This is funny to me because Paul's actually like really a Jew. He was born a Jew. So when he says to the Jews I become as a Jew so that I might win Jews, he, he is a Jew. But this kind of reveals to us his... Like after coming to Christ, he, he didn't any longer feel bound by those Jewish cultural traditions. So now he has to become as a Jew when he's trying to reach Jews because he, he's not like that. He has liberty in Christ, right? He, he maybe, maybe eats some, some, some pork. Paul probably ate a ham sandwich, right? To the Jews I became as a Jew so that I might win the Jews. To those who are under the law as under the law, though not being myself under the law. He is liberated from that. Is the new covenant. So that I might win those who are under the law. But to those who are without the law, Gentiles, as without law, eating meat, eating a ham sandwich, if they even had sandwiches then. I don't know if they had sandwiches, but eating that with the Gentiles, eating the way Gentiles ate, and he, wasn't, he didn't feel like that was a sin. Though not being without the law of God, but under the law of Christ, there he recognizes there is a moral standard, there's still a moral standard, no matter how you're trying to relate to people, contextualize the gospel, live in the world, there is still a law of God that is our standard, and we're not to break that, right? But we are no, no longer bound by, by human law, cultural traditions, the, the old coven, covenant standards, so that I might win those who are without law. Then he appeals to more than just Jew and Gentile distinctions. To the weak I became 
weak. That doesn't sound very appealing. That I might win the weak. I have become all things to all men. All things to all men. All, a Gentile, a Jew. One who is weak. To the poor, one who is poor. To the glutton, one who enjoys food. Not one who is given over to sin, one who enjoys food. To the drunkard, one who will have a drink. Not one who will give himself over to sin, one who will have a drink. To the coffee snob, one who will have a cup of coffee. Not one who will be given over to snobbery. <laughs> well, no, I can't, I can't. Not one given over to snobbery, to sin, but, but, but one who enjoys a great cup of coffee. That anyone in any, any circumstance in life we become all things to all people. Remember, Christ, uh, Paul is he's figuratively applying this to himself so that we hear it and we go, oh, maybe I need to take that to heart. Maybe I need to live like that, right? This is why we don't take the advice we heard growing up in Sunday school. It's bad advice. Don't you dare go to that place or hang out with that kind of person because you will ruin your witness. Where is that written? It's not. It's not. In fact, we see quite the opposite here. Become all things to all people. That's how Paul is admonishing those self-righteous people in the church at Corinth who think, I am so good I don't go to places like that. Oh, I don't touch that kind of thing, that substance. I don't do that. I don't say those kinds of words. And a little note here about those things we culturally call four-letter words. We, as Christians in general, get very up in arms about people cussing. Right? Where is it written that you shouldn't say that word that it is a sin against God? Well, it's not written there. It's a, you can't find it. Right? That's, that's a cultural sin, not a biblical sin. And we ought to keep that in mind in order to live respectable, prudent lives. Right? But that is not a sin against God. I'll tell you what is a sin against God. When James talks about controlling your tongue, he's not talking about cussing. talking about speaking derogatorily toward others. Now, that's much harder to get away from because you can substitute you can substitute your darn language. Yeah? And still put others down, which is a, a much more grievous sin before God, and we're going to learn that in this passage. You could still speak without meaning with repetition, babbling like the unbelievers, the idiots, right? Which is a sin against God. Well, no, we don't want to think about that. We want to say, don't you dare say that particular word. And we focus on that, 
Meanwhile, real sin is eating people alive. Become all things to all people so that I may by all means now we're going to run into some issues by all means well Paul what do you mean right I mean there's got to be some qualification here but Paul doesn't provide any qualification here I'm like but, but Paul what about what about having church in a bar room all means Paul, what about our willingness to be around people who are listening to that horrible, ratchet music? Don't, don't you want me to get myself away from that so I'm not tempted and so my, so my mind doesn't become dirty and stained by that nastiness? Don't, don't you want me to... What about being around people who drink a little too much and get a little angry or dumb you don't want me to be it's not going to benefit me going into a bar and sharing the gospel is it because the people in there are drunk they're not really going to understand me right it doesn't really benefit Paul surely you don't mean by all all means surely you don't want people going into strip clubs and sharing the gospel Paul surely Surely you don't want the people of God to go and play music at a cafe and drink a beer in view of everyone. Isn't, isn't that just going to stain them and ruin their witness? Surely, Paul, you don't mean by all means. Surely, Paul, the Jews in the congregation, surely, Paul, you don't mean that I should go and, and eat bacon in order to reach people with the gospel. Surely you don't mean that I should go over to somebody's house when they're watching a TV show that so, shows some inappropriate... Surely you don't, you don't mean by all means, do you? Well, if Paul wanted to qualify this, he would have, I think. Paul was pretty careful with his words. If you read the Pauline Corpus, <laughs> he's very careful with his words. Trained in Hellenism a master at argumentation in the Western world, right? He's careful with his words, but he says by all means. And brothers and sisters, this is what gets me kicked out of churches right here. Because I believe Paul when he says all means. I don't believe people should sin. But consider this. Jesus for the sake of humanity, became a man. Assumed human flesh and assumed a human nature. That's what we call the hypostatic union. He condescended to humanity. Paul here is just telling us to do what Jesus did. And Jesus came and he ate with gluttons and drank with drunkards and tax collectors and sinners. He didn't sin. 
but he identified with sinners. And he partook with sinners in the things they partook of without sinning. And the people who condemn anyone for doing what Jesus did would also condemn Jesus. That puts them in a very dangerous place, I think. But people like to try to be pious, don't they? Like to be puffed up in their religiosity like they're too good for the world. There isn't so much a divide between secular and sacred, I think, as we have made in today's world. So that I may by all means save some. Well, there's the result, right? Even with all of our effort, even with all of our work and all of our labor, not everyone who hears the gospel from our lips will respond in a positive way. But there's good news here. Some will, so that I may, may by all means save some. Some people will drive us out of their synagogues like they drove Jesus out. Some people will drive us out of their churches like they drove Paul out. Cities will drive us away. We will be persecuted. But in all this, some will come to know Christ in a sincere way. What a great promise that none of our labor is in vain. But Paul says, I do all things, verse 23, all things for the sake of the gospel. When I eat with gluttons, it's for the sake of the gospel. When I build relationships, it's for the sake of the gospel. When I drink with drunkards, it's for the sake of the gospel. When I when I listen to music that other people are listening to, even if I don't like it, it's for the sake of the gospel. It's like Jesus called us to take up our crosses, deny ourselves, and follow him, or something to that effect, right? This is for the sake of the gospel. This isn't about me or my preferences or my piety or my, or my sense of, sense of self, self-religiosity or self, self-righteousness. It's not about any of that. This is about becoming a slave to people outside of the church. I do all things for the sake of the gospel. Now he's not saying whatever it takes to get every single person in the doors of the church. No, save some. It's about salvation, not just getting people into the, into the doors of the church, right? It's about preaching the gospel. This is why we don't give ourselves over to sin but we do identify with sinners. And how can we do that? Well, if Christ could do that, having never been a sinner, we can certainly do that, having been wretched sinners in our own lives, and sometimes still being wretched sinners because we are not fully sanctified. Amen? We can identify with sinners. In fact, we should deny ourselves and identify with sinners. And we should not be condemning of those outside the church. This is, again, is just about caring for people and becoming a slave to all men. I do all things for the sake of the gospel. So, and this, this blows my mind. This is still difficult for me to think about. So that I may become a fellow partaker of it. 
like the gospel at this point when Paul is writing this is not something that's even been fully worked out in Paul's life so that I may become a fellow partaker of it so that, so that this may come to fulfillment in my own life. And it's like if we don't do all things for the sake of the gospel, if we aren't condescending to others, not being condescending of others, which is evil, but condescending to others, relating to others, identifying with others, if we're not doing that, then it is not possible for us to to become partakers of the gospel, to receive eternal life. And Paul is doing this so he may win this prize, become a partaker of the gospel of Jesus Christ, of the eternal life. And in verses 24 through 27, he jumps to illustration. Do you not know that those who run in a race all run? Now, if we're not careful here, this can easily be used to justify some sort of workspace righteousness view, right? Some sort, of, some sort of word of faith movement gospel. Some sort of legalistic gospel. But I don't think this, that's what Paul's getting at, and I'll explain it as we work through. Do you not know that those who run in a race all run? but only one receives the price. He, he starts using athletics as an illustration. We make fun of those preachers who are like, see more excitement at a football game than I see at church, right? But then we see Paul using athletic illustrations, which is, which is kind of crazy, right? So Paul uses athletic illustrations. In a race, this is common sense, this is still the way things are. Races have not changed since the first century. People still like races, okay? People still like to watch the Olympics, and they, they haven't changed really since ancient Greece. Some different games have been added, some taken away, which is good because there was some violence going on, okay? Um, <laughs> in a race, people line up. Somebody shoots the gun. Well, not back then they didn't shoot the gun. They probably, I don't know what they did to signal the start of the race. I don't know. I don't know. They had a big cannon or something. I don't know. Did they have cannons in the first century? Maybe China did. I don't know. So people line up. Somebody shoots the gun. Pop! And the runners take off. Who wins the race? Everyone, right? Everyone gets a trophy. Everyone gets to heaven. Everyone gets eternal life. Yeah? No. The person who finishes first wins. The person who finishes first gets the trophy. The indication here in Paul's illustration the ones who finish well, who finish first in the race of life, get eternal life. Okay, this is starting to concern me a little bit as one who believes salvation is by grace alone, through faith alone. Run in such a way that you may win. Paul doesn't explain the illustration. The illustration is meant to explain his previous comment. And then he admonishes the church. Run in such a way that you may win. Work hard labor in the gospel, do evangelism, relate to people, be intentional about contextualization, be intentional about living in the world, run in such a way that you may win. He's not saying be intentional about being legalistic, about following as many rules as you can. That's not even what the passage is about, but that's what people read into it, right? No, be intentional about the way you relate to others. The way you relate to others for the purpose of the gospel is an indication of whether or not you have eternal life. This is a salvation issue. And so churches that care not about evangelism, intentional evangelism, 
congregations that rebel against any evangelistic thing. People who say, don't you dare go to those places, be around that type of person for the sake of the gospel. They bear fruit that is not consistent with life in Christ. I am convinced they do not know Christ because they are not running in such a way as to win the prize, salvation. Verse 25, everyone who competes in the games. This is the Olympics. Paul is in a Hellenistic society. This is the Olympics. It's amazing. We still have the Olympic games. And, they, and they've, they've expanded around the world from, from Greece to virtually every recognized nation, right? Almost as if now the Olympic games have become an illustration of the kingdom of heaven. What in the world is going on there? But Paul uses the Olympic games. Everyone who competes in the games exercises what? Self-control. Self-control in all things. All, all things. They then do it to receive a perishable wreath, but we, an imperishable, if life were the Olympic Games, and there was boxing back in the day, right? life for the Olympic Games and we athletes are we competing in such a way with such intentionality and drive and focus and training and determination giving it our all going right up until the moment of destroying our bodies so that we can win are we doing that That's what Paul is admonishing the church to do. It seems, though we do not believe works to be themselves salvific, that works are very important. Therefore, I run in such a way as not without aim, not like these other people in the world who are just going to go in every direction, right? No, we have, we have an aim. We have something we're shooting for. eternal life, Jesus, the kingdom. That is our focus. If we, are, if we have tunnel vision, that should be it. Right? Not letting the things of the world distract us. Not box in such a way as not beating the air. Some people pick some pretty stupid fights in this life. Paul's saying, when you fight, oh, oh you should fight. But when you fight... Make sure you're boxing the proper opponent. You're not just beating the air. You don't fight without purpose. And verse 27, But I discipline my body and make it my slave, so that after I have preached to others, I myself will not be disqualified. Now again, we can take this, and if we remove it from its context, we can, we can appropriate it to, to teach some sort of workspace righteousness what the Catholic Church does, many in the fundamental independent Baptist Church do, and many in Southern Baptist life do. In fact, I imagine there are quite a few denominations that would take this and say, this is what it means. Beat your flesh to death, and that's how you win, earn salvation, right? That sounds pretty good if we take this out of context, but we forget 
Paul has already taught that salvation is by grace alone, through faith alone. That this passage is not about keeping the rules of the law, but about relating to others. About condescending to others. And the way we treat others, the way we relate to others, the way we strive to reach others with the gospel, it is an indication of whether or not we are qualified or disqualified. And, and Paul, in this passage, he does not get at the order of salvation. And so it would be wrong for us to, from this passage, expound on the order of salvation, because that's not what Paul is doing. He is writing to a church which supposedly has people in it who have already received salvation. And so what disqualifies a person from eternal life and from ministry it really is his works, the way he relates to others. And what's different about those who are qualified, the Christ's works have been imputed to that person. So this passage that we're reading is entirely accurate. Paul is not wrong to say that, that our works can disqualify us. In fact, our works do disqualify us. Those who decide to get paid according to their works they're going to hell. The wages of sin is death. <laughs> Paul wrote that in Romans. But the gift, gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus. So eternal life is a gift. And if I have the gift, I, I, I am running as if to win a prize. Like when we receive the Holy Spirit, the Holy Spirit doesn't let us get away with being lackadaisical. The Holy Spirit doesn't let us get away with sort of mundane faith. The Holy Spirit doesn't let us get away with not preaching the gospel. Every sincere believer and every place will condescend to others for the purpose of the gospel and the expansion of Christ's kingdom. Peter said it in the book of Acts. We cannot keep from preaching the gospel. Cannot. Statement of ability, right? So those who are in Christ who have received the Holy Spirit, they run as if to win the prize with their focus on eternal life, the kingdom of heaven, and nothing can remove their focus from that. And if they remove their own focus from that, the Holy Spirit takes them and turns them back. And sometimes that hurts. But Paul says, after I have preached to others, I discipline my body so that I myself will not be disqualified and Preachers and teachers need to hear this. Preaching the gospel can make us feel pretty spiritual. Being a good expositor can make us feel pretty spiritual. Having people listen and encourage and flatter us by saying, brother, that is one of the best sermons I have ever heard. That can make us feel pretty spiritual. Be careful. Be careful that your preaching of the gospel, even if you get it right to others, doesn't cause you to get lazy when it comes to disciplining your body and relating to others and doing the work of evangelism, not just standing up in church and preaching on Sunday morning and saying, okay, now it's up to everyone else, but actually living the Christian life, being 
being like Christ. Preaching is not a substitute for living the Christian life. Now I want to speak to those in my community for a minute. Here in Douglas, Arizona. I want you to be encouraged by this. <laughs> if you're feeling admonished, like if you're feeling a deep conviction here, repent, believe the gospel. <laughs> All right? Be the church. Don't just go to church. Don't just be ritualistic. Don't just be religious. Don't have this false piety about you. Actually be- become a citizen in the kingdom of heaven. R- repent and believe the gospel. Christ died to give you that opportunity. He died on our behalf. And, and to those who are not in Christ or are not in church or, or are in the, in the throes of Catholicism and its legalistic gospel or Mormonism and its legalistic presentation of the gospel, those who are trapped in the cult of, of Joseph Smith, the Jehovah's Witnesses, Right? Those who are infatuated with Mormonism. Those who are infatuated with Islam. Those who are looking for ways to themselves be righteous. Listen, you are not better than any other wretched sinner. And when Christ came, he came... He came to seek the lost, not those who had it all together. When Christ came, he came for sinners, not self-righteous people. You hear that? There's a group of people Jesus didn't come for, the self-righteous. Woe to you if you are in that category. Jesus did not come for those who are well, but those who are sick. They're the ones who need a physician. And here at Douglas Reformed Church, we want to invite you to join us to hear a proper preaching of Scripture, proper exposition of the Word, proper gospel. Shoot us a message. Say, hey, what is the gospel? All I've been told is get better, and the gospel has only been behavior modification for me. Look, it is not about behavior modification. Hear this message. We are here for you. Come, come. Come and see. You don't have to leave your baggage at the door. You don't have to get rid of your sin before coming. You don't have to feel ready. That's what they say, right? Leave your baggage at the door and come in and worship holy... No, you can't do that. Christ can handle it. Come. Come and see that the Lord is good. Come and see what a community built upon the grace of Jesus Christ is like. Just come and see. We, we want you here. If you are a sinner, if you believe yourself to be better than everyone else, stay home. <laughs> see why religious people don't like texts like this. Texts like this close the gap between secular and sacred. Did you know Christ owns it all? (laughs) Christ doesn't say, yeah, I'll take this part and I'll leave that. No, Christ owns the world. He owns the universe. He owns every human person. 
He is Lord, whether we like it or not. Christ is King. He owns it. There is no real gap between secular and sacred except for what we have culturally defined and derived, which is not what the Bible gives us, but religious people would like to think there is. And here's what that means as we plug into our secular secular jobs. Those are just as much holy ground as the, the church building where we gather. When you go out to eat, we are building relationships with our waiters and waitresses, right? Sacred opportunities. Gospel opportunity. We do well. We, we, we drink well. Amen. We, we drink well. Not in sin, but we drink well. And we, and we eat well. And we coffee well. And we labor well. And we barter in the marketplace well. Why? For the sake of the gospel, to the glory of God, to the exaltation of Christ, so that, so that we might have opportunity to invite others to partake of the bread and the wine with us, the body and blood of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. This is what God calls the church to on this earth. And this is basic stuff. This is basic stuff. And this is what overtly religious people rebel against. Drive people out of their churches and synagogues and communities for teachings like this. This is, this is the basics of Christianity. If you can't get this down, how do you expect to ever grow up in the faith? Y'all, let's do this. Yeah? Let's do this. Lord, thank you for everything. Thank you for the calling you've placed upon our lives. Thank you for the passion you've placed within us. Thank you for condescending to us. Please give us boldness to live like you have called us to live, to, to run as if to win, to box as if to, as if to beat down our enemies rather than beating the air, to partake in your kingdom and to live our lives so that we might not be disqualified. Lord, we love you. Thank you for everything. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.